Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And hello, everyone. It's Steve Savage, and welcome to the Crossroads Alpha podcast. Sorry for the delay. Uh, we've all been a little bit busy with life and work, but we're back. In fact, we're going to take this in a bit of a different direction. We're going to be mis- mixing um, general themes and discussions with just kind of hanging out, because that's what we do. So... With me today are Jason and Sirdar. How are you guys doing? Hello. Hi there. Yeah. In fact, when, one thing we were talking about recently, guys, just want to lead it into our jam, is um, all of us are writers, and it seems like no one has worse self-esteem than a writer. It seems to be an area where you know a lot of people really lack confidence, even when they're damn good. Well, the biggest reason for that is because it's very hard to tell, you know, whether or not you re- are really good in a real world way, a lot of times what will happen is that you'll have this uh, this internal gauge for what you know what it is to be you know good, and it doesn't really seem to correspond to anything that you're doing. You know, a lot of times people will assume that if you're good, you should be commercially successful. And there are many many good authors who are not commercially successful. They're, they they have enough of an audience you know to make things make things decent, but they're not selling trillions of copies, and that's fine. And then you have other people who are selling trillions of copies, and you wonder how they ever managed to get anything done at all. You know, the writing is is clearly stitched together, you know, courtesy of their editor, and you know, just sort of limps along. And but it sells. You know, it, it gives somebody something to be interested in. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of times, when you're when you're you're feeling bad about your own work, it's you know, and it's because it's not reaching a lot of people. You look at what is reaching a lot of other people, and you say. Do I have to produce something this base, you know, this this uh, this ground floor, this this minimal, uh, least common denominator, in order to get people to read what I'm doing? And that just seems like such a sad prospect, you know. I, I want to do the thing that interests me. If it only interests a few other people, that's great. But you know, I don't want to have to produce things that I know I'm not happy with just because they appeal to a whole bunch of other people in order to be noticed at all. Yeah, I see. I think um, it also depends on your motivations. I mean, I in general enjoy writing, but also, you know, the payoff is in other areas of my career. So I think it's kind of different too. Writing is a but writing is a social thing, and we're all looking for acceptance. And I think that's one of the weird things about writing is it's very personal, very vulnerable, and then you throw it out there to the world, and God only knows what's going to happen. See, this is where my approach is a little different from you guys. Um, I always felt like writing is first and foremost a meditative act for me. Mm-hmm. It's a chance to kind of get inside my own head and think things through and allow myself to kind of get a better sense of either myself or the um, material that I'm analyzing or the characters that I'm writing about. And so um, I'm less concerned with the external and with success, and put that in air quotes, I am with uh, kind of producing the best possible work that I can produce. And that's where I feel my kind of inferiority, which is that I read um, similar pieces to mine written by friends and colleagues and say, 
uh, they, they've either articulated their thoughts better or they have more interesting insights than I do. And I tend to beat myself up over that. Um, along with that is the fact that in writing, um, literally every word you drop onto the page can be changed. And therefore, this um, need th this zeal to second-guess yourself, especially when you're doing an edit pass, is um, kind of overwhelming for me. Uh, you know, I find I find one bad sentence and it makes it kind of spins me off in the direction of uh, what else is bad in this work, as opposed to say an athlete who says, uh, you know, all of my reps are just fine, so I'm doing great in the gym today. Wow. See, the weird thing for me is I do. I think of all of us. I'm the one that does advice books, and I am con my constant terror is: Does this matter to people? Is this stuff you can see anywhere else? Am I giving someone the wrong advice? So I second-guess myself constantly because I don't want to screw anybody up. You know, I had one person who, they credited me with them founding a business. That was great. The business didn't succeed. Did I do something right or wrong? You know, I'm not sure. I think it was just a market thing. So I second-guess so, myself because I'm trying to help people. And I almost envy people that do, like, light fiction because, hey, you're having fun, you're entertaining people. Um, you know, that's like being someone's bud and hanging out with them. It's different than what I do, and I honestly envy some fiction writers. Well, I think that's an interesting point, though, Steve. Why should you be responsible for this person's success or failure? There could be a hundred reasons why their business failed. You gave them the advice, and it's up to them to kind of make it happen. You're like, to continue my analogy, you're like an athletic coach who tells someone, gives someone technique, if they can't follow through on that technique, that's not a flaw on you necessarily. It's a flaw on their ability to kind of do these things. But it's finding that dividing point. You know, that's where I can understand, um, you know, like, I don't think I could, I don't know if I could ever even light, write light fun fiction with the way my brain works. But I can envy people that can basically write the fiction equivalent of hanging out with your friends, eating a pizza, watching the game. Because fun is fun. The advice is, I'm trying to help people with their lives, and I don't want to screw it up. There's two things here that I think are worth calling out. Um, one of them is that, and this is something that I am constantly trying to grow past, is that you really have to learn how to not evaluate yourself based on other people's standards. It's very difficult to do that because other people are often the only yardstick that you do have. You look yeah. at other people's work, and you are bound, in a way, to measure your work against it because that's what you're competing with. But at the same time, you know you have to be able to build some degree of faith in what you're doing entirely on its own terms. I mean, I look at what I'm doing, and I constantly say to myself, this doesn't fit in any convenient slots. And, you know, it's difficult to market. The book that I just finished will probably wind up being marketed as a psychological thriller because I really don't have any other label for it. And at the same time, I know that the labels don't really matter in the end. The, the labels are really only there to get people in the door. Mm -hmm. They're just there to get people reading. But you're always going to wind up being compared against what else is labeled with that label. And if you come up short, you know, even if what you've done is actually brilliant, if people, can't, if people never get to the point where they see it for what it is, you know, they're, they're going to turn their back on you. And so... You know, a lot of the a lot of the, the discipline that you have to build as a writer is having faith in your work on its own terms and not 
constantly second guessing it and measuring it up against other people's work. What you're doing, you know, in terms of giving other people advice, is you're giving them a spark. You know, you're igniting the fuel that they have. Where that takes them is entirely theirs. If it takes them into orbit, that's great. If they if they get you know 200 feet above the platform and they blow up, that's theirs too. The only thing that you can really take credit for is the fact that you got what you had to give into their hands and they took it serious. That's the part that really matters. Everything after that is entirely up to them. You know, if I think, if, I, I think that's very wise advice, but uh, that is great. Um, you say something that you just said something that I thought was very interesting, which is uh, about comparing yourself versus others. So you, it seems like maybe you're you're saying one thing and feeling a different thing, perhaps, because you, earlier you said you you uh, you were implying that you do compare your work against others. It's more uh, literary as opposed to more, um, you know, in terms of finding an agent. But also you're saying kind of don't pay attention to others. Uh, I find like, like that's my dilemma is always whether to pay more attention to my own or to my peers work or not um i think i can't help but compare myself but also find that to be kind of a self-defeating process by um by analyzing what does well for others doesn't do well for me i'm finding that the trick is not to think about what succeeds commercially for others but rather to look at what what i think works for me and ask myself why does this work for me Hmm. um Right now, the project that I'm working on, which is brand new, um, I've opened a file and I've written down a bunch of things that are direct or indirect inspirations for the atmosphere that I want to conjure up. And I look at these other things, these, these other movies, these other books, and I, and I have to say to myself, the point of studying these things is not to copy them note for note or element for element. The point is to look into myself to look at what they do to me and say, how can I produce this same reaction? Why does it work this way for me? And that way that the emphasis shifts away a little bit. Instead of me sitting there being jealous about how brilliant this other stuff is, I'm trying to use it as a self-teaching lesson. I'm trying to use it as a way to teach me how to think about this stuff in a way that is that is not just about, you know, oh, I wish I could do that. It's more about well, what is, why does it work the way that it does for me? How can I follow those footsteps? That way I don't have to copy any specific thing about it. And then you know, I'll wind up with something that's genuinely my own instead of something that just looks like or feels like it was put together from three or four other things. So it's difficult to get out from under that, but you really have to. And I'm finding that you know, if you alter the way that you look at these other things, if you take your, if you take your jealousy and you stand it on its head, you get a lot further than than you might think. Yeah, I'm not necessarily saying jealousy. To be clear, it's more. Um, uh, I do a lot of collaborative writing, or have done a lot of collaborative writing uh, on uh, like uh, nonfiction writing, and I find it more challenging. I guess that these people are thinking on a different level than I am. How do I bring my writing and my thought up to that level? This is a little bit of what you're saying, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you always want to look at what 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 your reaction is to something and why. If something makes you jealous or something makes you it makes you sad about your own talents, then you really have to look as far down into that as you possibly can. Because sometimes I found that those those feelings are misleading. Mm-hmm. You know, the few times that I've been really really jealous of people who are enormously popular, 
I've looked out into my feelings and I've asked myself, what is it specifically that I'm jealous of? Am I jealous of the fact that a lot of people are paying attention to what this guy has said? You know, is that necessarily a good thing? It, is it a good thing that what he's putting out there is, is being widely regarded in an uncritical way? And, and if it's just the fact that somebody's paying a lot of attention to what is being said, you know, then I have to also consider the fact that sometimes a message is not necessarily made better by being spread a little more widely. So, you know, you have to look into your own reactions and in an uncensored way and in an uninhibited way. You can't, you have to try and figure out how to look into them in a way that, you know, it isn't just an echo of what came before. You know, what's, what's different about it this time? Am I, am I feeling this way for a different reason? What's really in there? Well, there's writing in the end, and I, I just realized this, writing in the end is an experience that's going to teach you about yourself. I've often said everyone should take a stab at writing, though in a few cases, you know, it's not good, you should try. But writing is a constant case of discovering more about yourself. This never go. I don't think this ever goes away. And that's one thing I'm taking away from this, is the self-discovery happens with the writer. And I don't think you can avoid that. You know, some writers get very successful, very pampered, maybe. But you can never walk away from what this is going to expose you to. Yeah, that's the point I, I keep trying to make, is exactly that. It's um, For me, it's a voyage of self-discovery. Even if I'm not writing about myself, I'm still writing about myself, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we all do that. But we, if we admit it, and see, that's one thing with me, I never realized till this conversation, is... I write to do something good to help people. And it's easy to just kind of think, yeah, I do that, whatever. But, you know, talking to you guys, I realize that's important because I've learned something about myself. I'm going to keep writing whether I really sell books or not. You know, if I sell a few hundred, I'm thrilled. I think that's the key thing, though, is that, you know, why I'm are happy. you drawn to this? If you're, if you're drawn to it because you feel like if you don't do it, it's just going to be a disservice to yourself and others. You know, that's the most honest reaction. And a lot of times, you know, when I've been sitting at a table and I'll start talking to other people coming up looking at my books and they'll start talking about how they want to be a writer too. And I said, well, why aren't you? You know, <laughs> and it always, it always struck me as being self-evident that if you want to be a writer, you're going to sit there and write and that no excuses will derail you. This is not the same thing as, you know, not listening to good advice that may come your way and trying to, you know, play above your own head and, and grow your talent. But the drive that is there should not be something that is dependent on external rewards other than writing something and completing it. And I always have to temper my bad feelings about my own work with that. You know, that I know that in the end I'm gonna do this anyway. And that for other people to pay attention to it is a bonus. But it uh mm -hmm. You know, at, at bottom, I know that I, I, one, the one thing that I most want out of this is, is a finished piece of work. That is the best thing that I could possibly assign my name to, and that's the only thing that really matters. See, I've, my view is, ironically, that my writing's always going to get better, so I instantly assume everything I write sort of sets my low bar. So I always assume there's a small part of me that's going to be awful. But then the next time I do more. So it's this bizarre thing of I instantly assume everything will be imperfect. It just seems perfect at the time. Yeah, it's interesting. Which I, enjoy, which I almost enjoy in a perverted way because it always means I'll never get complacent. <laughs> that's a good that's thing. You know, that's never getting not just, complacent. Yeah, if you, if you look at what you did yesterday and you're immediately able to think of ways it couldn't be improved, oh, you know, right. without just it being a way to beat yourself up, that's important. 
Here's, here's the honest, funny thing. This comes from Seventh Sanctum. And Sirdar, you've often commented you wonder how my mind works, um, possibly in a sort of Lovecraftian way. But um, after doing that site for 16 years, my brain doesn't stop. There's a million ways to beat myself every time. I could instantly win the startup, you know, the startup lottery, have a ton of money, and I'd probably just be writing more. I honestly would be. It wouldn't be going away because it won't turn off. It's who I am. Well, you've habituated yourself into it. I mean, and I'm the same way. No, it's, it's not even that. It's part of who I am. Now, you can't even call it habit. It's like breathing. No, it's part of who you are because when you come home um, uh, and you, you look forward to your weekend, some friends go camping, some friends play sports, some friends go out to bars. The thing that you look forward to the most is writing, I assume. At least that's how I often yeah. feel. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the same for me too. I know that, you know, at the end of the day, that's what I really want to be doing. When I tried various other kinds of creative activity at various phases of my life, I always ran into the same walls, which was that I was getting the same thing out of them that I was when I was when I was creating a story. And so it always came back to that. I said, I'd better listen to this because it's telling me something. Yeah, exactly. I, I think sometimes we almost, the commercialization of writing and the ability for us to anyone to publish is good but sometimes i think the focus on commercial success almost takes away from all the other things you get from being a writer because you are a writer and i can respect people that you know they they may not make the best books they may not be the best writer but they are a writer and they're in touch with that enough to keep going even if they're never quote unquote good but that drive is there i appreciate their honesty and there's always the chance they'll keep improving. But I think it's almost writing as a kind of lifestyle. Just like a sports fan or something. Which is what Jason is too as well when he goes on and on about the Seahawks. Hey, diversity is a good thing. Yeah. Hey, you didn't, you didn't say anything good about the Seahawks. I'm stunned. <laughs> but yeah, it's... As you said, Steve, I'm a little mellow today. Um, so I want to I wanted to mention one other thing, which is um, maybe two facets. So it used to be a thing, um, especially uh, up until the 1970s, that a person could really get by being kind of a middle mid-range writer. Um, you know, we can all point us to um, writers whose work we love, who were never particularly commercially successful, but who had decent careers and whose work was uh, continually published. They may have lived in hovels and made you know just a couple thousand dollars a year, but they could get by um, writing. Now, with the way that the world is, uh, we're in a strange position where some people can make money doing writing. As you say, Steve, writing dinosaur porn or, um, you know, Swamp swamp Girl, uh, whatever, whatever you posted to our group recently. But then there's a whole other element um, who just, there's just no way to make any money writing these days. And I think that's fascinating that we're in a completely different place well also i think we see the superstar effect um kind of there are a lot of people who are insanely successful and there's a lot of people who want to ape them and there are some people that find powerful niches but it's not the same as it was plus you know with free content some of the i don't want to say writing for the average writer um 
or people who are prolific, if not exceptional, their space is harder to find right now. And I actually think that's a shame because there's nothing wrong with being average because by definition, 50% of people are worse than you. But I don't think there's a slot there for people to find that. And that means they have less of a chance to rise above their ability. You know what I mean? We're just in a very weird time writing-wise. It's very, very difficult to make any money in publishing. I work in a, I work, my day job is for a technical publisher. Where I, write, I write about business technology all day long. And it pays pretty well. But it's only because I know that it's a niche and that they're able to sell very lucrative advertising and, and connections for that niche. You know, as far as literature goes, like you said, it's pretty much a superstar effect. That there's the superstars and then there's pretty much everything else. And the everything else is like 95% of the market where books creep in and out of print like refugees, you know, smuggling themselves across the border. So Nicely timely. You know, <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, a, a lot of the problem is that there's, there's just no mid-list. There's just no way to make a decent middle class living, in big part because of the destruction of the middle class generally. But you know, there's everything is everything is about the superstar effect. Everything is about can this be turned into a movie and sold to HBO? You know, can you can we make three books out of this one book, or can we make seven books out of these three books? And you know, the the, the part of me that just wants to tell a good story recoils in disgust at these kinds of things. Unfortunately, I know that they're pretty much inseparable from the way that the system works right now. Yeah, and who knows what it's going to be. And it's a reflection of the society in general. It's the hollowing out of the middle class. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, someone like John Updike, you know, in his prime in the 50s and 60s when he was, you know, knocking out short stories, he was able to make a very good upper middle class living for himself this way. Now, today, if you write short stories, um, you know, the only way that you can really supplement that is by also having a novel deal and by also maybe doing doing you know straight fiction oh, sorry sorry straight nonfiction slash reporting for places like uh, the New Republic or what have you and even those guys don't pay very much in a way I'm really lucky you know I have I have a job that while it doesn't have a lot of that kind of you know literary glamour it gives me a solid base upon which I can actually do the stuff that I care about the next trick is to get other people to care about it and that's really what that's really what publishing is about it's proof that other people actually care about your work in a substantial way yeah true maybe what we really are looking for is just to make that connection cuz writing is a social activity perhaps that's why it's easy to take it personally when you're rejected yeah i mean when you want to be published it's weird because it's not like you're necessarily asking to be rich and famous. What you're asking for is recognition and validation, which are not necessarily the same thing as fame. You want people to go up to you and say, hey, man, I read your book. It was really good. And the problem is that the way the economics of publishing works these days, it's very hard to do that unless your book is out there in tens and hundreds of thousands of copies. Yeah. Yeah, it is, it is a strange time. It's funny. I feel like one of the books we need to write about it right is to write a history of publishing and how it's changed we need like this bizarre meta book to explore the book about what happened to books <laughs> uh, i think guy, i think there's guys, been a fair amount of scholarship and journalism done in that vein i should actually but, probably go dig around and see what comes but turn up it, turn it turned into something everybody can understand i'm sure there, there's always tons of scholarship but you know, the average person who wants to grasp this is not going to sit there and sort through a bunch of scientific papers and articles. They want someone to write a book about it. Plus, it'd be great to make money on a book about making money on a book. 
<laughs> well, I know that there's been a lot of good work, uh, a lot of a lot of good straight journalism, a lot of good nonfiction lately about these types of forces as they've affected music. You know, now that music is essentially free, what does that mean to the ec economics of music? And oh, the yeah. typical answer is disaster. Um, David Byrne actually wrote a very good book a couple of years ago called How Music Works that dissects a lot of this stuff oh, I've heard from of that. a bunch of different directions. I can't recommend it highly enough, by the way. And there's been other books about music piracy. There's been other books about, you know, the, the shift away from physical media to digital media, even without piracy, is by itself corrosive, and so on and so forth. And I think there have been a couple of stabs in this direction, you know, vis-a-vis -vis analyzing how publishing has changed as well. But I don't know that they've that that there's been anything produced in the same holistic, you know, A-list kind of you know so, somebody with a really good writing personality coming in taking a really good top-down view of the whole thing the way that David Byrne did, for instance. Mm -hmm. Plus, I'll listen to anything by David Byrne and just assume he knows what the hell he's doing. But I think music and um, writing that's often gone very similar trends. And it's strange because I wonder, will someday some writers give things away from, you know, how many writers are going to give things away for free and then make money on everything else? But a lot of webcomics people do already. Um, Girl Genius, a comic I adore and everyone out there should read it now, um, is free. But then there's peripheral books and everything else for the Foglias. And it's kind of strange to think that I'm reading it for free and then I feel guilty then I should buy stuff. I think at least part of that is the fact that the Foglias already have a great deal of momentum built up mm. around their fan base. That they have an existing fan base of people who will give them money for product, even if that mm. product has been available in a in a digital form. You know, the fans are always fond of having a physical copy of something on their coffee table or on their shelf. If you are nobody, this tactic will not work because you know the whole thing revolves around name recognition. It revolves around having the momentum that a fan base already has for your work. And that is really part of the problem why people will look at what someone like the Folios do and assume that if they follow the same steps, they will have the same result. The problem is that nobody knows who they are. And unless you have already reached that level of bootstrapping, you're not going to be able to mimic their emotions and, and get the same results. Yeah. To be fair, many people have followed that template and have done decently. It's Steve's calling out that this is a trend in with uh, many webcomic publishers, not just the folios and a handful of others. There's there's a chance to make a reasonable amount of money using that model. I think it yeah. also has something to do with the mechanics of a comic versus the mechanics of, you know, straight print or, or literature or fiction, what have you. You know, there's there's much more immediacy in a comic. And reading a book takes a much larger investment of time and energy. So it's automatically that much lower a margin a thing, and so you have to you have to have that much more to draw people in. Yeah, the entry level for uh, accessing a comic is totally different from accessing a book. I have no idea, but I assume that people who are writing fanfic have a little more ability to get their work published than uh, people who are writing straight fiction like you are doing, Sirdar. Yeah, I mean, I'm no doing totally original true. stuff. So again, yeah, there's there's the question of you're leveraging an existing base of awareness, and that's part of why publishing, in as an industry, is kind of indispensable. Because if you're nobody, they can take you, they can throw money at you, they can prop you up, they can put you next to other people, they can put blurbs by people who have familiar names on the front of your book, 
they can get you in front of people who will write about your book and so on and so forth. And if you try to do all of those things on your own, it's an uphill battle. And even even if you have money, it's still an uphill battle because it requires connections, it requires savvy, it requires marketing expertise, it requires coordination between a bunch of different things. So that falls to the people who already have a mechanism set up to accomplish all of this elegantly. True, but we keep fighting away at it too. I think sometimes one of the good measurements of a writer is their sheer hard-headedness. You almost want them to be too... St a writer has to be a smart writer and too stupid to quit. Well, if it's, you know, if it's in your blood, you will never quit. You may get frustrated, but you won't, you won't give up. You I may just redirect your efforts. A great quote from the late Sir Terry Pratchett, um, his character of death once noted that humans have a strange ability to believe things into existence. They can take, you know, there's almost no place in the universe that won't kill us. Yet we can look at something remarkable like a bed and take it for granted. There's a kind of hard-headed creative um, creativeness that keeps us going. And I think good writers have that. You know, I can always, I, you know, there's something about believing yourself into doing it. That's really what brings me back to it. I mean, at the end of the day, I look stop. back at what I've done and I've said, you know, hey, this didn't exist five minutes ago. Mm -hmm. That's really remarkable. Exactly. And that's one of the things with, I think, all of us here, and I see that in you, Sirdar, and you, Jason, is we just keep having these visions um, of what to do, and we just keep going. And I think anyone listening to this, I don't care how awful your writing is. It's probably better than you think. Go do it. Do it. Fake it till you make it. Um, and someday you will be good. But you almost have to believe in yourself enough to be too stupid to give in. And then you're smart enough to succeed. I want to share something that we discussed before this started in this vein, which is that when you do not have a lot of confidence in your own work and you, you feel like you don't know how to build it, you know, or, or you feel like if you build it, it's illegitimate. You know, that's a real trap. At some point, you really do have to figure out how to just not care about what other people think. Because one of the things I've discovered is that if you get, if you have somebody come and you tell you, this is no good, and they, they sound like they have the voice of authority, it is very crippling because it makes you feel like you don't know how to fight back against somebody who seems to embody, you know, everything that you should be trying to aspire to be. You know, it would be great one day to be in the, that position to be able to tell other people this is good or this is no good. You know, that's like the ultimate justification, or the, the ultimate validation of, of you being a creative person is to be able to pass judgment on other people's work. But it's such a trap. I mean, part of the problem is that those other people are simply people with opinions. Mm -hmm. And if your work doesn't appeal to them, that doesn't necessarily mean that you've created something that is as unilaterally no good. That means you have to look for a different audience. Though to be fair, it doesn't. It also doesn't mean that they're wrong. There should be you. You should consider what they're oh, uh, sharing with you. Clearly, it's just that a lot of times, you know, it's very hard not to be crushed by that and to say, you know, to say to yourself, "Well, if I can't get even this right, then I can't get anything right." I mean, that was my big problem for a long time when I first started. And I waved my work under the nose of a couple of professionals, and I got absolutely torn to shreds. 
um, my response was basically to, to retreat into self-imposed exile for years because I just felt like no matter what I did, I would never be able to get these guys to, to, to like what I did. There was this, the bar that they were setting just seemed so impossibly high. And, you know, I'm still at the point where I say to myself, well, have I actually been able to jump over that bar in the interim? The only way that I will find out is if I actually go back to somebody that is in that position and say, well, what do you think now? Mm-hmm. How do you like me now? Who and and some of it, some of it is, you know, that you want to get revenge. You know, you want to be able to trump them and say, "Hey," and that's, you know, a, look, and that's a terrible really motivation. I want to know yeah. this right now. That is an awful motivation as a writer. I meet yes. people who get like that. It's like, no, but you um, can't pretend it doesn't exist. You can't if pretend, you pretend it doesn't, that it doesn't exist. Then you never confront it. You can look at it, admit it, have a good laugh at yourself, and then go on. And besides, I, if you can't get over it, living well is the best revenge. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that uh, it, it's the uh, success is the best revenge. But the second thing I would say this is when you succeed, go help other people out. Don't make it all about you, or someday you'll be the person everyone thinks is a jackass, and you'll be the one they want revenge on. So remember, when you succeed, go do something good with it before you become the person everyone hates. Well, I have a great example of this. There was a guy that I knew. Um, it was actually a, f- a friend of my of my then fiance, um, who went off and and basically bootstrapped himself into a writing career, uh, working f- working for the Star Trek franchise. He he wrote a couple of scripts for Star Trek, Next Generation and DS Nine, and he wrote for uh, their novel series as well. He's been featured regularly as a, a you know in the in the Star Trek novel franchise, and he's he's since done stuff for a couple of other franchises in the same vein. And I look at what he's doing, and I just burn. I say to myself, you know, if I had had a little more discipline, if I hadn't been such a hothead, if I hadn't been so convinced of my own non-existent genius, I might have, I might have been able to get something along those lines. But at the same time, I also had to ask myself, you know, is that really what I wanted to be doing, writing for somebody else's thing? You know, in the position that I'm in now, I've got a stable job, you know, where I don't have to constantly chase every dime i don't have to second guess myself about where my next paycheck is coming from i can produce exactly what i want and it's allowed me to be curious about things that have nothing to do with somebody else's franchise and so and the thing is you know it's what works for you you know maybe he's happy because honestly i can see he sounds happy to me there's a fun of writing a writing in a franchise because you get to play with someone else's toys that's really big in comics yeah and it also gives you, as, as hinted earlier, it gives you an automatic leg up. It gives you automatic name recognition by way of somebody else's work. And that's not something you can dismiss lightly. That is hugely important because it's timeshare and mindshare that matter most these days, not money. Also, it's very hard to get people's attention at all. Yeah, I, I also be honest, sometimes franchise books can be surprisingly good because just like comics – you have this big pile of toys to play with. It's like Legos. And like Legos, some people can build some pretty damn impressive stuff. I mean, it's also it, a way to, it's a place where you can prove that you are uh, worthy of consideration for, as part of the writing group. You know, you're showing, yeah, your, exactly. showing your chops. In other who, words. Yes. who would ever guess that someone would make Squirrel, squirrel, girl, uh, squirrel girl a beloved icon? You know, that's the fun. By the way, I just want to note, out there that after the Deadpool movie, hey Marvel, I expect a Squirrel Girl film. Let's make it happen. Just hope it's waiting for a reboot of Howard the Duck, frankly. It's probably coming. Oh god. Yeah, I mean I mean the main thing is that you shouldn't you shouldn't let 
the work that you do in that vein dictate your feelings about yourself. Yeah. I mean, I always, I always knew that at the end of the day, I wanted to do something that was entirely mine. And the few times I actually tried writing fan fiction, you know, as a as a tentative stab in, in the direction of doing something franchise related, I always felt weirdly bad about it. I said to myself, you know, you've got all of these other ideas in your head. Why are you using someone else's? And at the time, I wasn't mature enough to recognize that there are very good reasons for doing work in a vein that somebody else has already laid down, which you've already enumerated. You know, but at the end of the day, I know that that's not where I necessarily want to live. And we have to find what works for us. There's only so many hours in the day, though, so you don't want to, you know, extend yourself in a project that's not going to move your life forward. Right. Exactly. And I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm going to take my what little time that I do have and put it to anything, I'd rather it to be something that is entirely mine. And if I'm in a position where somebody offers me work, you know, if it's good paying work that involves working with somebody else's franchise and I know that it's not coming at the expense of other things, and I'll certainly consider it. But at the same time, I say to myself, what do I really want to fill my day with? Yeah, and that's what we all have to ask. In the end, writing is it's a, it's an activity that's both for you and for other people. So we have to ask what we're going to use our time to do. I mean, everything we sculpt, every word, every book could be timeless. And we have to ask what matters to us. Wow, that was deep. You're good at that. <laughs> In the words of Professor Farnsworth, yes, that string of words I put together does sound like it meant something. <laughs> good news, everybody. So I was going to say, speaking of uh, moving, you know, we'd mentioned, you know, getting focus and so much time of the day. Why don't we wrap this up, folks? And I hope everyone out there likes our uh, our experimental direction for the podcast. A lot of us have been through changes and we we want to kind of figure out where to take this thing. So. I have no closing comments because I can't put it better than you two guys did. Is there anything else to say? Thanks for listening. Really appreciate you giving us the chance to chat with you. Love to hear your comments. So um, find us on twi on the Twitters. and um, Which are on the internets. And let us know uh, kind of how you feel about this. It's some, obviously something that means a lot to us. And um, I'm sure it means a lot to a lot of you and would love to kind of have this move into a larger discussion if you're interested in talking to us. Yeah. Sirdar? Keep your flame burning. Until they catch you. <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone. We will talk to you in two more weeks. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.